Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Total Wine & More. I want something fun in the sun. You'll love this sparkling wine. Wow, great price. Find what you love, love what you find. At Total Wine & More. Drink responsibly, B21. The Fearless Curious Soul, Goldilocks Productions presents The Deep Reading, connecting you to your soul show. This is Suzanne Wyman, The Deep Psychic. Welcome, and thank you for joining me today. Please think about the commentary that you relate to. I want you to feel included and know that if this conversation resonates <clears throat> to who and what you are, then you are part of something greater than yourself. The universe is connecting to you and answering your questions. But seriously, today, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. I have a really dear friend um, who's joining me. And John and I have known each other for a really long time, but um, we live like far apart, so I don't get a chance to see John, so even having a conversation with John is like a special gift for me. So <clears throat> I'm going to bring John on, and I'm going to let John introduce himself. Um, he's an incredibly gifted speaker, and he's a pleasure for me to join in with. And I hope that you get a lot out of the conversation in listening to John. All right, let's see what John is, and let's see if we can bring him on. Hi, I'm John, John Showbring. Yes, can you hear me? I can hear you perfectly. Very can good. you hear me? Yes, I can. All right. So, John, introduce yourself. Okay. So, I'm currently a special education uh, 
teacher in Oakland. Uh, before that, though, I spent about 25 years in information technology as a computer programmer, a systems analyst, uh, and a management consultant, which was what I was doing when our story sort of begins. Ah. <clears throat> so, um, so, so first of all, John, thank you for coming on and sharing your story and having this conversation with me. Uh, you really are somebody who is a gifted speaker. Um, would you like to share with our listening audience today uh, what you got your degree in? Because not many people um, understand what that degree is about. Well, I got my degree, <laughs> my my undergraduate degree, from uh, UC Berkeley in the subject of rhetoric, mm. which is uh, has to do it. it used to be the speech department, then they became the rhetoric department uh, because they changed their emphasis to a more analytic uh, bent. So they, they sort of de-emphasized the speaking and emphasized the analytical quality of uh, discourse. Um, it's a good undergraduate degree for lawyers and such. <laughs> <clears throat> so at one time, there was considered only four professions that a gentleman could say that he had, and, and one was a lawyer, one was a person who had a degree in rhetoric, um, I think the other one was um, religious or ministerial work. I can't remember. Yeah, the, soldier um, and priest, that was about it. Really? Okay, that was Yeah, it. soldier, okay, priest, rhetorician, and rich person, I guess. <laughs> Well, I guess they all were rich people, so anyhow, oh, yeah, not too many. Yeah, rhetoric goes, the, the tradition of rhetoric goes all the way back to Aristotle. Okay, so, <clears throat> I mean, a lot of people don't even really understand that that was a profession, and I don't even think very many colleges today offer that degree, um, but it, it makes you a fabulous speaker, and it makes you a, a great storyteller, so... Tell, tell the story about that simple decision that you made and what happened when you entered into that journey. Because it is a great story. It's a simple decision, but it's a good story. Yeah, the, uh, really the central point is that my life sort of grew organically. There was no lightning strikes or anything like that. Uh, it's just simply a series of small, small decisions, small twists and turns and uh, for me winding up where I am. But this one particular decision uh, actually leads directly to the conversation we're having right now. Yes. And uh, that, uh, that was that uh, in my, once I settled into a kind of a career, I spent six or seven years trying to get an MBA, a Master's of Business Administration, and uh, it was miserable. I, I, I didn't like any of the classes. It was all because I wanted to make more money. And uh, so after six or seven years of this, uh, uh, I, had, I made up my mind. I, I finished the last the class on auditing. It was just, just typically awful. And I swore to myself, that was it. No more. From that point on, 
I was going to only take classes that I thought I would enjoy. So I looked into one of the uh, one of those uh, newspapers, at least they used to have, uh, in the for the in the Bay Area uh, uh -huh. for uh, alternative education classes, and I leafed through it, and and there was a, a class in acupressure. So that sounded interesting. It had to do with Chinese medicine. I knew a little bit about that, and uh, so I, I signed up and started going to this uh, class in acupressure. So and I, I enjoyed it, and in fact, I wound up getting uh, certified as a massage therapist in acupressure. Hmm. And also, while I was uh, taking the classes, one of the classes I took was in shiatsu, and that led to a, a ongoing uh, massages with this guy who was who was a very very good. He had studied in Japan. Uh, and so he became my massage therapist for a long time, hmm. which also led to meeting my other therapist because the, the two of them had conjured up this idea that's actually a pretty good idea that after having a massage, then they would go in to see this therapist. And uh, so through him, I met my therapist who became my therapist for, well, over 10 years. Uh, so those those are some of the other things that happened. I mean, but we're not even that's not even my story. It's just those are just side information. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I love it. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so you know what? But so here we back to the back to the main thread of the story. Uh, while I was waiting for one of the acupressure classes one day. And just, you know, I was sitting in the lobby. I didn't have anything to do. And there was this New Age newspaper sitting on the table. And so I picked it up, and I was leafing through that. And in that newspaper, there was an ad for a Sunday afternoon hand reading with Richard Unger. Mm. And uh, so hand reading. So let me step back a second again. Um, this wasn't completely out of the blue, Uh when I was about 19, there was a, an occasion when the, my friends and I all went down to Santa Monica Pier. And, uh, oh, by the way, I, I grew up in L.A., although I live in the Bay Area now. So we were down at Santa Monica Pier one fine night and just, you know, wandering through the pier. And uh, there was a, a hand reader there, and I was drawn to it. Nobody else cared. They were just like, oh, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. And they were, they were moving on. I just... I was transfixed, um, but uh, I don't know how much she was charging, but for whatever it was, it was too much for, for me. You know, I was just 19. Whatever it was, it was too much money. So I just kind of let that go. Then uh, when I was about 28 or 29, I was at a Christmas fair in San Francisco, Hmm. And there was another there was another hand reader there, and this time, well, I could afford it. <laughs> uh, although, you know, he said this this guy says you know just donations, whatever you want to pay. Mm -hmm. uh, which you know, in my experience, is <laughs> probably a pretty good way to to uh, entice people because you know some people aren't gonna aren't gonna listen, but those that do are going to pay an appropriate price. 
So yeah. I sat down with this guy, and uh, he was good. He oh. uh, he hit on he hit on some uh, uh, significant significant uh, stuff, and he talked about <clears throat> a relationship which I had just it had just happened like two weeks before. And the people I were with just burst out laughing because this guy described it to a T. And uh, <laughs> he was he was good. So uh, I paid him appropriately, you know. Nice. So I've had an innate interest in hand reading for most of my adult life. And I don't know where that comes from. Uh, you know, I'm not drawn to tarot or uh, any number of other things uh, the way I am to hand reading. It just seems to be a natural inbred thing. You know, I don't know where it comes from, but there it is. So so I see this ad in the newspaper bringing us back into the thread again. (laughs) Uh, This New New Age newspaper, Sunday afternoon, this coming Sunday afternoon, uh, Richard Unger is giving an afternoon seminar. And I thought, okay, this is interesting. Well, and once again, you know, I'm only doing things that, that I might enjoy, so off I go. I go to this afternoon uh, hand-reading thing. And Richard Unger's uh, main thing is life purpose through fingerprints. Yeah. So it was, you know, the the, the afternoon was basically... Uh, fingerprint analysis, nothing to do really with the lines in the hand or anything like that. But once again, he he was, you know, he's good. Richard Unger is good. Let me say that right now. Uh, So, uh, you know, I was very impressed and, you know, we did the the thing. And by the way, my life purpose is service. So, Mm. so Mm. just, you know, so what, what, so the life purpose is uh, service, love, and <laughs> two others. <laughs> I didn't prepare that part. <laughs> Anyhow, um, at the end of this afternoon thing, uh, he said, oh, by the way, next weekend we're having a weekend intensive in hand reading. And I thought to myself, well, I like this. It seems to appeal to me. I'll sign up for that, too. So the following weekend, I went to a weekend intensive, which does cover the whole gamut of hand shape, fingers, lines, and fingerprints again. And at the end of that weekend intensive, he says, and by the way, we're going to be starting a one-year program in a couple of months. And I thought to myself, you know, this, 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 this seems to speak to me. So I went all in and uh, attended his one-year intensive. So toward the end of the uh, the year, um, the class, you know, we, we all start um, doing things. You know, going to the we rented a space at the Ren Fair, and uh, we. Uh, went to other other new age things to uh, uh, perform hand reading, do hand reading. 
Which leads me to where Suzanne and I met. Because it went, oh, also, at some point along this way, I, I'm not sure exactly where, but uh, I also became acquainted with J. Owen Swift. Another uh, right was a very was a very good handwriting. He's died, but uh, his system was uh, really quite different from Richard Unger's. He incorporated uh, astrology and tarot into handwriting, so, which made it all the more interesting to me. So there was, there was that, and which leads us finally to the uh, New Age thing in San Jose, where I met Suzanne, and we immediately hit it off. And uh, oh, I'm not sure where to go with this story now. John, it's a great, it's a great story, but the, the funny part of it was is that <clears throat> I had taken and I had a little tiny booth, and you were with a group of other people that were doing um, hand analysis, and they were, doing, they were doing their readings. And so I came over and I introduced myself to your group, and uh, I just remember because of time, I was doing, I was reading feet. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, my grandmother taught me how to read feet, and I was reading feet. And I came over, and I remember, I remember you sitting there, and you just looking at me like, reading feet? Oh, no, no, no. And <clears throat> it was a really, I mean, Northern California is by far more receptive to the psychic experience, um, all of the energy that goes with that, and always has been more receptive to that sort of environment than Southern California. Um, I think it's so funny. You've never told me the story about seeing the um, the the woman who had the shop on the Santa Monica Pier because I totally remember that spot. I lived in Santa Monica, so I think that's yeah. just like humorous. I mean, her she had this little she had this little tiny shop, and uh, right I remember the- it. I remember it as a. It was like a. Uh, uh, a temporary building or something, wasn't it? I mean, it wasn't mm. a permanent. It was just like a trailer, kind of. I mean, that's the way I mem- my memory of it, anyway. So you know, it was almost you know in a, in a in a science fiction story, it would have the next day I would have come back and it would have disappeared or something like that. <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly. It was like that. So there we are. We're in San Jose. I set up a little teeny tiny booth. And uh, you're you're there, and and I'm living in Southern California, and I'm working in Northern California, and I'm working on the phone, and um, and and you and you give me this look, and I introduce myself, and I go back, and I'm all finished with it, you know, I'm all finished. I've gone gone by and said hello, and then a, just a few hours later, John, just a few hours later, um, you come over and you tell me how I did a reading for this woman. And she tells you that you're telling her the same thing based on what I saw in her feet. And that was it. You were convinced. <laughs> well, sure. But, you know, this, you know I've been thinking about this um, since, since we spoke yesterday. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, one of, my, uh, one of the great conflicts in my life is the... Uh, uh, the 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 contest between the logic and the intuitive 
And if I don't have, if I, you know, that's, you know, it's what kind of prevents me from doing this more than I do because there's this, this ongoing skepticism I have unless I have some kind of proof. Mm. So, you know, I may be, uh, you know, as intuitive as can be, but it, it lives, uh, it, it, it isn't a comfortable, it's kind of a dichotomy. It, it isn't comfortable for me to live with this intuitive power. So, uh, yeah, I had to have, I had to have somebody, okay, so this person, you know, we agree, saw the same things, okay, now with that, that logical connection, I can, okay, now we'll move on. You know, I can, you know, I talk to you and I feel like I've been verified somehow, had some kind of verification. Right, the two, the two pieces, because... Truthfully, in all the all the time that I've been involved in studying, educating, training, and providing education and training and everything else, the only the only people that really I've been able to really teach how um, reading feet works is people that understand palmistry. So it, mm. it is it is kind of an interesting um, piece. So so you and I sit down and we talk and and remember we're we're at a, a convention and. You and I sit down and, I don't know, did we talk for three hours? I don't remember if it was two yeah, or three hours. Yeah, it was just a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And and I do a past life regression on you there. Did we do that? I, yeah. You know, I've been thinking about that, too. Was it that time or was it when we worked together later on? No, it was that first time we met. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, so that was... That okay, was, then. That yes, I remember, <laughs> but I remember the regression. Yes, indeed. Yeah, so so we do that, and then uh, you know, and then then that's it. You know, you go back, and I go back to work, and um, you know, that's that's how we we meet each other, and then and then we go forward, and we set up different situations because we want to work together because you want to see the tie between what's in the palms and how that shows up in the feet. So the feet are holders mm-hmm. of chronic information. They tell us the story of uh, your health. They tell you the story of ongoing conditions. Uh, they tell you how you process your emotions. They tell you how you feel about luxuries. And from the time you're born till the day you die, you can be identified with your footprint. So we footprint a baby, and your footprint changes so little but the day comes that you die, we can identify who you are based on the print that was taken of mm-hmm. your foot when you were born. I always think that's yeah. an interesting piece of trivia. Um, whereas hands are the holders of acute information, and so yeah, it's just a, it's a very different process. But the overlaps and the pieces that you know you see in the feet, you see in the palms, and on and on it goes like layers. So you and I begin this conversation, and uh, we discover that, you know, it's fun to look at somebody's hands or their feet and talk about the person as if they're not there. Um, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So... um, So we we really we, I mean I really wish that we um, had more time and more opportunity to do that sort of thing because it was 
so much fun. Um, but with me to present the process of um, complete intuition and you having to present the logic. And I understand the logical mind. I mean, my father was an inventor and a chemist, and scientists, it's about logical results that can be reproduced again and again, and they're accurate. And so your mind goes to that process, and I get that. I mean, I totally get that. And when somebody does that part of the work, I'm totally free to do the completely intuitive work. And mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and then, of course, every now and then, you know, we would sit down with somebody and we would talk to them, and all of a sudden you would look up at me and you'd just be like, that's not in there. Where are you getting that from? So, yes. <laughs> where'd you get that, Suzanne? And you would always look yeah. at me. No, no, now you've jumped off. You're not, you're, not in, you're not in the land of analyzing a palm. You're in the land of, of intuition and psychic stuff. <clears throat> but then you would see the look mm-hmm. on the person's face, and they were just, they were just rapt. I mean, they were just like, I mean, they yeah. went into this state of rapture. So mm-hmm. you, have one other, you, have one other, you have one story that I really like uh, where we encounter a, you know, my love of babies. My love of babies has, has not changed. It's just, um, you know, I don't have access to children like I used to, and I really do love babies. So this one is a good story. Share it, John, please. Okay. So we were at <laughs> we were at a uh at a uh new age fair in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And uh I don't, you know it it had either I don't remember if it was Richard Unger or J.L. Swift had talked about this particular line in the hand which uh once again after speaking with you yesterday I've been thinking about it, and it it had something to do with, like you said, the the parents' treatment of the child, not something that was wrong with the child. It was right. child, and it and I I wish you know I can't remember what the the line meant or anything or where it was, but it was up. It was one of those things that we had just recently discussed, mm. and uh, we had talked about it ourselves. And here comes this baby. We look at the hands, and there is that line. And the two, <laughs> Suzanne and I, <laughs> saw it at the same time. Mm. Ga- kind of gasped, looked up at, e- looked each other in the eye. And the mother, of course, picks up on this. And, and so, what? 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 Are, what do you see? What do you see? And right. my inclination, of course, is to be blunt and tell her exactly what the line is. Mm. which diplomatically is was just not the thing to do. <laughs> and Suzanne, <laughs> Suzanne <laughs> was presented it. I, you know, it was uh, masterful in telling her, told the mother exactly what it meant, but in a very, very soft way that the mother could accept without feeling uh, cornered. <laughs> or uh, being accused of something or anything like that. So, <laughs> yeah, my inclination to, to be, I mean, it's the only way I can, you know, the way I work, I can't, I can't be diplomatic. Just from my upbringing, being diplomatic doesn't work for me. I have to be, I feel, uh, that my feeling is that, that I have to be 
straightforward and unvarnished, mm. which uh, I, I recognize is not always the wisest course of action. So, oh, so I yeah. Know, I, I don't know if it necessarily reflects wisdom. I think that the message, there are people that are drawn to that. They want the complete and unvarnished truth, and they want it told to them in a very simple, straightforward way. But the difference is, is that if you're if you're working in public, you know, a lot of hours, a lot of people are very afraid of talking to somebody who's intuitive. So yeah, it's it's just it's just the way it is. So you and I once again go to work at another um, event, and we're working. Um, and this one and this one had to be in San Francisco. I don't remember the exact location, but I know it had to be San Francisco. So mm. we're doing we're doing readings there, and I come in and I get to the booth. And when I get to the booth, I said. You know, on my way in, I encountered three simian uh, creases. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, and John, tell them what you said. I said, no, that's impossible. It's just <laughs> too rare. You don't come across three simians in the same day. It just uh, yeah. isn't done. It isn't <laughs> done. Yeah. So, um, so I... I and I had stopped and gotten a cup of coffee, and I had gotten a pastry, and it was all in the, the convention hall. And so I took you back through, and I go, yeah, do you remember me? We talked earlier, and the person looks at me, and they go, yeah, I remember. I go, this, this, is, um, this is another person who, who's um, a hand reader. Would you, would you please hold your hands up and show them your, your palms? And then, and then the person does, and then you look at me, and you go, I just don't believe it. Okay, so then we go to the next one and the next one. So anyway, we find these three people, and then that's when you and I decide that I am a magnet for people that have Sumi increases. It's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. It's almost okay. like opposites attracting, because <laughs> Simeon is 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 the most analytical, detached kind of of uh, uh, thinker. Uh, they're they're uh, they're just kind of detached, and of course, you, Suzanne, are very much emotionally integrated. So, so it's kind of a yeah, we hope. Yeah, that's right. So <laughs> it, it is kind of like uh, uh, like opposites attracting. And, uh, by the way, and I, I remember something else uh, talking about uh, people wanting to, you know that sometimes blunt language is good and other times people aren't ready for that. Uh, when I read at uh, the Ren Fair, my first, uh, when I was still just completing the one-year program, mm -hmm. this couple comes up to me. It was a family, actually. It was, it was uh, a child as well. Anyhow, uh, the husband, or they both, both the husband and wife wanted readings. I said, okay, great, you know. You know, sit, whoever wants to sit down first, sit down first. So the guy sits down, and it was it was uh, for me at least. This particular guy was an easy read. He had uh, earth hands, so real simple, not a lot of lines, and the lines he did have were uh, pronounced. I mean, long, which mm -hmm. is you know quite. You just don't see that. It's usually just. Uh, big meaty hand with a couple of short lines. This guy had big meaty hands, but 
some really long lines. So the reading went really smoothly, and uh, I rambled on and on and on and on. And no, you know, he's once again he's an Earth guy, so he's not he's not making any kind of whether I'm right or wrong or in between. He's not he's not giving me anything. He's just sitting there, poker face. Right. And I'm not paying attention to anybody else. I'm just, you know, I'm focused on his hands. And the guy isn't giving me any any feedback, really. So I don't know whether I was right or wrong. But uh, I finish. And both the husband and I, <laughs> I get in one of these things, dual. We, we both look at the wife at exactly the same time. You know, it's okay, your turn. And she jumps back as if she's seen a ghost. Because I'm not doing this. I'm no, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. And the guy and I look at each other. He's like, "What the fuck?" And uh, <laughs> but it, it it was a you know it was a I, I I don't know. I didn't say anything bad to the guy or anything like that. But apparently, whatever my language was, uh, she found it uh, a little too unvarnished for her tastes, I guess. Wow. And, uh, but, you know, the good news is, so the bad news is I lost the sale, but the good news is I really felt validated that, uh, mm. well, I just must be on to something here. So, yes. That, talk, talk about, so the simian crease, the simian mm-hmm. marking on the hand, uh, by the yeah. numbers, it's one in 100,000 has a double simian crease, one in 10,000. Is it really, I, you know, I wouldn't, if you say so, I, I don't remember what the you know what the statistics yeah. are exactly, and especially since you've been finding them everywhere, I begin to wonder. Geez, maybe it's like one in two. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is weird. But that yeah, it's a weird. it's a reasonable it's a fairly rare line. Yes. And uh, to have them up both hands is is doubly you know it's just doubly rare. It just really doesn't happen. Mm. Uh, so but you seem to mean. seem to. Oh, it's it's uh, very analytical. Um, uh, let me think. The uh, the example that Richard Unger used to give uh, was that uh, a, a guy with simians simian lines in a relationship is going to. Uh, if if he's he's feeling you know he's feeling like he's drawing closer to his uh partner will present to the partner saying i believe it's time for us to move to the next level something completely you know uh almost a parody of uh trying to relate emotionally without the emotion hmm. um, so that they these the people of simians uh, uh, can be quite socially awkward. Mm. So, uh, but they're they're highly analytical. That they're very you know, in uh, in the world of analysis, the simians they're they're at the top of the heap. So, 
I always say when I see a simian priest that you're an individual who um, is capable of acts of genius, but your great struggle is finding placement in belonging. Because simians tend to create yeah. an opportunity of genius that nobody else has ever done. So they struggle you know, emotionally and mentally in their 20s and 30s, and it usually isn't until their 40s or 50s that they find their place where they really belong, they find acceptance, and <clears throat> they separate their emotions from themselves. So their emotional yes. process is um, is like over here in the other corner of the room, and then there's them, and then there's the logic and analysis. So dealing with a simian um, is always difficult because they don't want to acknowledge their um, they don't want to acknowledge their emotions. Yes, yes. See, you've had lots of practice talking to these people. It's been I'm not in the not in the mix like you anymore. So, uh, well, yeah, what you said is, it's, this all sounds, you're, you're right. You're, you, you said it much better than I could. Oh, well, you know, John, it's easily corrected. We just, you know, just like to bear <laughs> together, and all of this will come flooding back to you, you yes, know. Um, you're right. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just a, you know, Rich has a modified to me increase because <clears throat> I, really, I really love the story of a simian, a simian child to raise is just really a lot of work for a family, parents in particular, mm-hmm. because they want one toy, they want to eat their food one thing at a time. Yeah, right. They like they like to do one thing, and and life isn't like yeah. Richard, life. go ahead. Yeah, Richard Unger used to say Richard Unger used to say that uh, you got a plate in front of you, you eat all your peas, then you eat all your mashed potatoes, then you eat your your uh, main course. Yeah. It's all Focusing on one thing at a time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not much fun for parents to raise a child like this because they don't, you know, I mean, if they have other children or they have something else to do, they, they're not really so concerned with, you know, I mean, obviously people that are really into children and have a lot of time and creativity and resources are, are going to nurture yeah. this. But um, Rich's, Rich's um, hand has a modified um, simian crease, and mm-hmm. I, I forever tell him, it's your parents. They broke it. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but um, yeah. that's not very nice. But no. um, it brings us back to the, tra- the story of the, the baby, and I do mm-hmm. remember that perfect moment with the two of us um, bent over looking down at this baby's um, little palm. It must have been about 14 months old. It was in the stroller. Yeah. You and I are bent over this tiny little infant, and we're like, oh, let me take a look at your hand. By the way, children are not willing to share the information of their feet and palms. They no, they up. are not. <laughs> they kick up the Most deaf. Yeah. They, they know the value of it. Intuitively, the little babies know this value. So we open up the baby's hand, and we look in there, and at the same moment, you and I look up at each other straight in each other's eyes, like about a matter of, you know, three and a half to four inches from one another, and we're like, oh, no. Oh, no. And it's like, oh, no, the mother did it. She ruined it. <laughs> so, um, and, and, you know, um, no parent. I mean, parents make mistakes because that's life. Um, but no yeah. parent wants to hear that they really missed it. So um, <laughs> it is a tough dialogue. But I think the marking, if I remember correctly, had to do with the fact that the child 
was born with this beautiful line of clear communication from inside itself to outward expression, and through this negative chatter in the home, that line had been taken and um, formed into broken pieces in a really short period of yeah. time. So we knew it was quite serious. Um, so it was yeah. really, it was really kind of an interesting um, process. So here's a tie. Here's a tie in the thinking. Richard Unger became involved. What is that institute in Switzerland? He became involved in a project of taking and documenting um, the prints of the hand and the fingerprints and um, the well, he was. Yeah, he he. Well, that was always his thing, uh, uh, taking and documenting uh, handprints and fingerprints, um, because this this whole thing of life purpose in the fingerprints is, once again, his his main main thing, um, and his, his you know his vision his he felt his purpose was to establish a. Uh, Make hand reading legitimate, basically, mm. to bring mm -hmm. it into the bring it into the real the workaday world. Mm -hmm. So, um, basically, this thing in Switzerland was basically him branching out into Europe uh, with his Institute of Hand Analysis, and uh, that's you know. So now he's you know he's international. He's 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 established this school here, and he's got uh, branches. In Europe, and there's yeah, there's some kind of deal in Switzerland. I, I, an, you know, I don't follow it. But I, uh, I was up there in Northern California, and I talked to him one time, and he was taking, and they were collecting um, palm prints and fingerprints of people that were criminals, and they were, and they were taking and trying to come up with some sort of analysis because your feet, mm -hmm. your, your toes, and your feet, and everything else have the same print process, so. But what was right. interesting is that um, Richard, what was I going to talk about with Richard Unger? Richard Unger is somebody who really understands the process of logic and analysis. and He's, he's got really, a simian. Yeah, he does, huh? Yeah. Hmm. Well, Just as um, a side note. That's, that's <laughs> something I, you know, I don't remember. I did a reading for him, I think, in 1990, and... Um, you know, I've had some conversations with him, and he's always been, no matter when I've called him, he's always, he's always taken my phone call, he's always talked to me, he's always shared information mm -hmm. with me. He's been absolutely wonderful. He really has. So, um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> but, you know, talking about working together as um, two very different people, that is the most fun for me. It is really, really fun because... You know, you stay in the place of logic and analysis and wanting irrefutable proof and looking at the evidence, only at the evidence. And, you mm -hmm. know, I'm, I'm much more comfortable with moving into my intuition. So um, one of the things that, you know, uh, more, I did not, until you said that to me, until you said um, a simian crease is exactly opposite of myself, I really didn't understand what the lesson was to learn because, for a long period of time, it just seemed like everywhere I went, I had I had a semi increase, <laughs> and I was like, "What yeah. is up with this? This is, you know, this is this is way off the scale. This is ridiculous." So mm -hmm. then, then the story that emerged was the headline lifeline disconnect, and I would say that I see more headline lifeline disconnects. Um, I, I, it just doesn't make any sense, 
you know, and so that's mm-hmm. the individual who, and so you and I have um, a different opinion on that. Did you know that the headline lifeline disconnect is the only um, concept in the uh, three schools of palmistry that they agree upon. There's three schools oh, yeah? of palmistry. There's Indian, there's Chinese, and Western, and they disagree uh-huh. on every single thing except for that. Hmm. So, um, which, I mean, yeah. So, um, just just between you and I, just having some fun here on, on this talk show, and, um, and I'm enjoying mm-hmm. your com- company enormously. Um, I, I, I am sort of reluctant to do this, but I always have a great sense of humor about the individual who approaches the, approaches and asks for a reading, and they say, well, I've always been told that I couldn't be read. And so do we give up that secret, or do we keep that secret, John? Um, I'm not sure which. Uh, you're, you. you're catching me off guard. Okay. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Okay, so. So there's, uh, over and over again I've encountered people and the first thing they tell me is they say, you know, no psychic has ever been able to read me. I'm not readable. And then, of course, I give them a reading, you know, on very, very safe material. Yeah. But right. I think, you know, that sometimes um, people are just so difficult that it's so much easier for a psychic to say, oh, you're, you're just so special, I can't read you. And then that leaves their <laughs> ego intact. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, you know part of the problem is that uh, those types of people aren't prepared to listen to very much in the first place. Is that the secret you were thinking of? Yeah, they don't. They don't want. They're just too attached. And um, periodically, when I see it, I just when they tell me that, I I think, well, that, I'm so glad they told me that because now at least I know what to expect. So, yeah. um, but, you know, it, it is, it is, you know, it's a surprise on how enjoyable the work is. And I think that's one of the things that you've forgotten is that it really is enjoyable working with people, being out in public and, you know, just seeing the huge cross section of people because, you know, every, you know, everybody, everybody wants to talk about themselves, you know. Yeah, and, it's true. And, yeah. Yeah. So, I, um, I, go ahead. Well, it goes back to this whole skepticism thing, you know. I, I just, it, it's like I have to learn it all over uh, every morning or something. <laughs> so, you know, however much joy I get out of doing it, uh, either alone or with you, um, <laughs> I still, you know, I wake up the following morning and think this was, oh, no, no, there's nothing there, nothing to that. That's great. Um, that's that's uh, that's uh, that's kind of interesting. You know what that does is that gives you the beginner's mind. That gives you the innocence and the 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 naive. There is that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so it's it's a very accepting sort of place. So, <clears throat> but I think one of the best times I had doing a reading with you was when I was working um, on Sunset Boulevard in that 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 they had that little oh, yeah. psychic room there. And um, yeah. people people just came in one after the next, and um, mm-hmm. after a while, you and I didn't even look at the people that were in front of us. We just looked at each other and <laughs> talked about it. Do you see that? Yeah. What do you think of that? And then and mm-hmm. then every now and then somebody would be like, uh, "I'm right here." <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but on yeah. we went. 
on we went. So we certainly um, did. Yeah. So you know the um, one I remember at that uh, that sunset place. Um, mm-hmm. It was uh, she must have been mixed race because she had black hands. That is mm-hmm. to say, very few sort of earth hands, but long mm-hmm. lines. And there was some quality about that that she really, it was a dark secret somehow. There was something mm-hmm. about it that uh, uh, she, I don't remember if it, she didn't want to talk about it or, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that was, we must have, uh, there was something we said that uh, huh. made it very clear. But they were, they were very interesting hands because they were so uh, – African-Americans have, have distinctive – well, in general, everything's in general because there's always mm-hmm. exceptions. But uh, African-Americans have very distinct uh, palms. Yeah. And this woman who was uh, – she seemed to be Caucasian, but right. uh, she had very distinctly – African-American kinds of hands, and mm-hmm. there, there just seemed to be some secret associated with it that she didn't want to talk about. That's so interesting. Because I do remember, you know, it's like I didn't want to bring it up in front of her, even, mm-hmm. you know, in our own conversations. It's like I waited until after she was gone before I said anything to you. So, was there, it, so that it stuck in my mind that that was such a... Uh, uh, very distinct hands. The lines are so much easier to read. The hands are so beautiful, and the story is so is so straightforward. When you look into their palms, you know their story. For me, I look into their palms, and I, I feel their story. I feel their emotions, and, and I see their story. And, and it's kind of a funny thing, because in that situation on Sunset Boulevard, I, I encountered so many people, and the people that were... Um, performing or working at the House of Blues, which was two doors up. Yeah, right. There, and it was an economy thing. And so um, every now and then, I mean, it happened like maybe once a day, every now and then I would do a reading for a man that had been on the road way too long, and he would mm-hmm. say, oh, my God, I love you. You get me. Would you please tell my <laughs> wife this story? And then I would say, you haven't been home in a while. You need to call your wife. <laughs> It was just such a, an emotional sort of dialogue, but yeah. looking into their palms, it does tell a very simple, not simple, but it does tell a very straightforward story. There's no, um, there's no denying it. It just is so straightforward, and it's so plain, and, you know, there is no real misunderstanding in that process, and it's funny because I'm trying to think. I mean, I remember this person's lines, and I just remember the one thing I do remember is her extraordinary headline. But, um, yeah, and, and, and there in Hollywood, you don't know. I mean, you don't know if you're talking with somebody who's, you know, a, um, a really, you know, I'm not really up on television, so you don't know if it's somebody who's really kind of a celebrity because I made that mistake yeah, right. time. Or, yeah. if it's, um, or if it's somebody who's come into the hotel and has come to see a, a client for the exchange of cash, you don't know mm-hmm. who you yeah. encounter because 
Hollywood is an extremely wide berth in its in its situation. So it, yeah. it's interesting, but you also don't really know the destination. Um, and I saw mm-hmm. I saw everything. I mean, I just you know a hotel on Sunset Boulevard is just sort of like a, a great cross section. So let's mm-hmm. talk about the headline lifeline disconnect and what it actually means in palmistry. You've told me that in palmistry. Um, a headline lifeline disconnect means that an individual is born into this lifetime with past life memories of being another race and that they bring mm-hmm. those memories with them. Yeah. Well, I don't know how much. I, I, you know, really, I, this, this was Richard Unger, you know, who really passed this 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 particular thing on to me, and okay. I sort of pick up. Uh, but it does, yeah, the, the, the business of, uh, uh, first of all, if you believe in past lives, this is the skeptical John speaking again, Okay. you know, you got, there's that, um, that what, for those who don't believe in past lives, I mean, what are you going to do with it? Uh, but it does usually indicate somebody who, uh, is, was not comfortable in their family growing up. They were okay. somehow. Uh, so here's the here's the short story I use. You took a look at your family of origin. Yeah. You loved them and you respected them, but you didn't plan on living like them. So you chose to go out that door over there and live your life entirely different from them. Yes. So. Yes. <clears throat> so so, what's the part? Yeah, they don't ever feel as if they belong to their family. The craziest part, John, is is that I've sat down with families, and they all have that marking in their hand. Nobody feels like they belong to the family, and I'm like, what the heck happened here? <laughs> you know, and I'm not kidding. Three generations, I'm going, well, gee, huh. this doesn't make much sense. So, um, but, so Richard Unger's theory is that it's a past life memory of being another... Well, it, it indicates someone who was in the past were from someplace else like okay uh so now you're you're living in with a uh an upright mormon family in utah but in mm-hmm. a past life you were on the steps of asia you were right. you were with genghis khan right something completely different <laughs> right you're living a bedouin in saudi arabia <laughs> something else huh. and huh. now here you are in this this situation where you're uh, living the Wonder Bread life with uh, a family of upright Mormons. <laughs> I love that that expression. So <laughs> it, it, it's it's um, you know it's that kind of alienation uh, uh, that you, there's a feeling a, a lifelong feeling of something something's not right here <laughs> something doesn't add up i don't feel comfortable entirely comfortable in the situation in which i find myself growing up hmm. uh, so so here's so yeah it just it, it does you know it's it's an indicator of alienation uh right. interestingly one of my in-laws has uh, uh headline lifeline separation and she is just uh, 
is just a blank wall. I, you know, I suggested this to her, and, and I'm confident that it it applies. But she was in complete denial. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm just fine. I love my sisters, and everything is fine and dandy. Right. And, uh, yeah. uh, I, you know, she's a wonderful woman. I, I, have, I, I love her to death, but mm-hmm. she's definitely got some conflicts that she's just not, not facing. And, right. uh, well, mm-hmm. there you go. You know, that's life <laughs> like that. So I, I went through a chapter. Um, I'm, not, I'm not currently, because of the pandemic, I'm currently not working in public. But I went through a chapter where as many as 90% of the people that showed up to get their palms read all had the um, head, headline lifeline separation. And I mean like a mm-hmm. big separation, John. You could, you could lay your finger across that opening, yeah. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what what is going on? I mean, really, what is going on? So, where was what was the context? Where were you? Where where, where were these people coming together? Uh, uh, it was a party. It was just a gathering. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, not anything, <clears throat> not anything specific. It's not like I can say like I did the corporate party for you know the corporate Christmas party for Sony or something like that, and say oh yeah, that, yeah. it was those people. But it was just a continuous mm-hmm. theme that emerged again and again. And so So um, these people so once again, these these people so they all had some kind of of affinity. I mean they were all they were gathered together uh because they were all friends. That kind of thing? Is that what you're saying? They were all it was they're usually when they're large parties, they're usually work parties. They're usually year end corporate parties. They're um, mm-hmm. You know, okay. award ceremonies. You know. Well, I, I'm still, you know, I'm looking for some kind of common thread, and uh, I, I don't. So, so this was. I'm still trying to understand what, why were these people all together? Oh, it's just a corporate party. It's just a a corporate, corporate party. party. All right. Yeah, a okay. Corporate party. All right. Um, so culturally. Yes. Culturally, these people are drawn together into a common, some kind of corporate culture. Wow. Uh, that's why that whatever, you know, it doesn't really matter, but whatever this corporate culture was, is uh, they're, they're hiring in these alienated people for whatever, yeah. you know, whatever reason. It must work. It must, you know, there must be some for whatever, whatever it is they're doing that particular quality yeah. I would agree with is, you, John. Ordinarily, is, uh, I would agree with you. But uh, I'm going to tell you something, that I found that 90% mm-hmm. of these people in each one of these parties for a period of 10 years all had this, mm-hmm. headline, had this headline lifeline uh, separation. So it was mm-hmm. not, it was like whether I went to a grad night, um, I went to no. a small, small gathering in Long Beach, um, I went to a home party. It wouldn't matter. I would encounter, you know, hmm. as as much as ninety percent of the group having this marking, to the point that huh. I was just about thought I was going to die of boredom giving the same sort of commentary. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh. Huh. You, you looked at your family of origins. If they told you you were adopted, you'd be like, God, that makes so much sense. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I just I just found that there was just this this mass. Of people, um, and then, I mean, yeah, I mean, right? That's 
you have told me after the Sydney increase, uh, mm-hmm. the headline uh, lifeline separation is the rarest marking that there is. Period. No ifs, ands, or buts. All right. But no, that's. What I don't remember me. saying that, but if you say so, okay. Well, okay. How about in your readings when you looked at people? How many? I mean, you you have a very clear memory of one. This isn't a question like a question and answer session, but you know, mm-hmm. you you can tell me the different times when you've seen that marking with people that you know. The the you know one of your in laws they have that marking and they're in complete denial of its meaning. Yes, I mean, it it's true. In, it sticks in your head. It really yeah, sticks it in your head. You look at them. So yeah. I saw, I, I began to see a pattern. There was one pattern that emerged. One was is that these people that had that, they chose people that were deeply bonded to their family. So, mm-hmm. so in, the, in the coupledom, the person who felt alienated from their family received a very warm and loving family. So that was their reward. Mm-hmm. And then the other yeah. person who had a really deep connection with their family received loyalty from this person who felt mm-hmm. alienated. So I saw this yeah. sort of coupledom sort of pair up. And in fact, so much so that I would sit down with somebody and, and they would say, I'd say, well, is your, you know, I'd see this marking, separation marking, and I'd say, oh, okay, where's your, mm-hmm. where's, your, where's your husband or your significant other? And they'd say, oh, yeah, they'd bring him over. And I would look at the person and I would just be like, okay. And it was, you know, it was obviously two people that were extremely different. I mean, extremely different. Mm-hmm. So... Um, you know, finding placement. But after a while, I came up with my own theory. It's not an accepted theory, but I encountered so much of it, I had to come up with an opinion. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, so that's still that's still a conversation, you know, for another time. But there we are in the land of palmistry. So tell me the one thing that you think of when you think of palmistry and how it ties to reading feet I mean, how you as a person sort of like got that feeling. Because you have, you have a lot of the basic information of reading feet, the wide foot, the narrow foot, um, the shape, mm-hmm. the fingernails, everything. I wish you wouldn't have left me on this note. You should have warned me. <laughs> I, I, I can't think of anything. I'm sorry. I'm just not. Uh... <laughs> John. All right. Forget it. Forget it. <laughs> it's okay. That's so funny. I I. I really am spontaneous. I really am that person who yeah. does these things and goes down that road. But I do remember one conversation we had with somebody, and we looked at the heart markings in the feet, and we looked at the hard markings mm-hmm. in the palm, and there was such a clear um, connection in that process. It really, really, for me, that mm-hmm. was the that was you know. I mean, a lot of things tie. You know, you know, it's sort of like you mm-hmm. have to learn them in order to tie them together. But that those the heart markings. And the heart markings in the palm, they always seem to sort of, you know, match up real effortlessly. Well, John, mm-hmm, you've been mm-hmm. a great conversation. Um, well, thank you. Know, you time any time you want to have a conversation, I would, I would love to have a conversation. You make me laugh more deeply than anybody. Uh, you get me not to take myself so seriously. And um, <laughs> you're a really great hand reader. You really are. Very, very good. So mm. thank you. Thank you very much for doing this with me. You're welcome. <laughs> Are we done? <laughs> we're 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 gonna we're gonna wrap it up. This is the, the deep reading connecting you to your soul and I'll be back next week. Thanks for joining us. It's been a really great conversation. John, 
Um, once again, say who you are and what you do. John Schobring, special ed teacher, also hand reader. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fabulous. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll be back next week. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Become a Goldilocks Productions VIP patron. Receive exclusive access to live stream special and other epic packs. Join the Goldilocks Productions VIP community today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.